Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, so I have found it almost impossible to get a Gary Kemp earworm out of my head. Which is your favourite? Through the barricades. Well, yeah, because you had that thing about... Made in love on wasteland. And through the barricades. Yeah, so it's the opening to that song that's beautiful as well, isn't it? With the guitar. Yeah. Is it the guitar? Yes. Is it the guitar? Yeah, yes, it must be. Yes, yeah. he's actually, in some ways, an underrated songwriter, Gary Kemp. I oh, think. Do you yeah. think he's underrated? Well, I don't know because it's almost he's not sort of talked of in the kind of hushed tones that some people apply to. Anyway, I, I think he's, um, I think he's always been a good songwriter. I think you were very cheeky to ask the question: Have you ever made love on Wasteland? Which, with our health and safety heads on, we must advise you against doing uh, <laughs> for a multitude of reasons well in case you haven't had a tetanus injection well that would be <laughs> uppermost yes. that would be my top two considerations <laughs> because you just don't know what's lying around no you um, absolutely don't gary kemp is our main guest today on the podcast isn't it yes isn't it isn't, isn't it isn't yes. he i think is what i was trying to say yeah. uh, we've um, we've been here a while you've been here since the crack of haven't you because you were on matt chorley's show i was with matt yes i was with matt in his coffee break feature which comes your way times radio listeners at around about 25 to 12 and that's the one that mariella well, usually she does. does she's just like all over it yeah. uh so the rest of us don't get a look in and you do actually get a coffee do it's quite you? sort of literal i got i got a flat white yeah i got a flat white that's nice and they play a, they play a bit of music underneath it don't they? yes yeah, so it's a little bit like you're on a, a relatively good first date with matt chorley and you just sort of ramble well, mind you, I didn't do a lot of rambling because he does a lot of talking. Oh, he told some very funny stories. I was listening to it in the car. He has a very good line about a story he wrote for Mail Online. Yes, he worked there about the day Carol Vorderman went out. Or what is it they normally say on Mail Online? Ventured out? Um, displaying was, her? Well, yes, well, was, yeah, was, was she sashaying down well, anything? No, what is it they say? Flaunting her... Well, well, flaunting her curves. Flaunting her curves, yeah. It's a usual one. Yeah, well, it was. she was flaunting something. Anyway, it was the day she went out and looked like a Cornetto. I tell you what, did she take to the streets? Oh, that's right, took to the streets. Yeah, street. she took to the streets. A lot of celebrities took to Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that was the day that Carol Vorderman went out resembling a Cornetto, if your sight is really, really bad. Anyway, Matt Chorley wrote that story, and it hasn't stood in the way of incredible progress in his career <laughs> to be one of our colleagues here at times radio um, quite what, remarkable what she was actually wearing was just a brown well, skirt a brown and skirt, a white top a white top yeah, yeah. dressed um, as a cornetto i love yeah. that though i did have a cornetto the other day and actually they are they, is it me or have they got smaller oh no i think they've definitely got smaller yeah they, they it seemed minute i mean they are <laughs> it's quite funny because even at my advanced age when you go to your mum and dad's i'm still offered Mum always says the same thing. You can have a Cornetto or a mini Magnum. A mini Magnum. Yeah, that's because we're all watching our weight. You know, okay. you, can't, you can't have a full-size Magnum. Well, I don't think anyone mini. can have a full-size Magnum. They're, uh, they're too much. They are actually quite an investment. They're quite, they make you feel a bit sick about three-quarters of the way down, Oh, don't no, you think? I could eat a whole one. Um, in fact, I think I might have one next week. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think the reason Matt Chorley's so nice to both of us is because he's actually written about us in the mail online? <laughs> Oh my God! Do you think he has? 
Adam. How long was he at the mail? I don't think I never. I never took to the streets or took to. Or did I? I certainly never. Uh, Have I you was... been inundated with complaints? Two DMs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Anyway, he's a nice chap. He always makes me laugh. Yes. Good luck to him. Uh, shall we talk about uh, joy surges? We've got an yes, email from a new simple. mum, yes, which so I think is quite important, yeah. isn't it? Uh, so this is an anonymous email, always fine by us. Hello, Fee and Jane. I wanted to send my first email to you in response to what Fee said about joy surges. Joy surges. That's how I should be saying it. It's not a real person. Uh, as it really resonated with me, I had a baby seven months ago and I have not felt the level of joy I had expected and look forward to. I found it really hard to describe this lack of feeling as I do feel happy in general and am able to cope with my little one, but I've always felt something is missing from my pre-baby emotional range. Hearing the term joy surge hit the nail on the head. I used to feel this on occasions pre-baby, like when we bought our house, when we got married, and I'm wondering, does everyone feel this way when they have a baby? Is there something wrong with me? Should I seek professional help and will I feel it again? I'm desperate to feel it every day and sometimes I'm focusing on it so much that it's clouding the everyday experience of being with my beautiful baby who I love and I love spending time with. He is a cutie. Obviously, being a mum is hard work and a challenge, way more so than I could ever have imagined. However, I feel ashamed that these precious seven months have passed and I've not felt it yet. Uh, just some context, I'm 34, always wanted children. I did experience some birth trauma, which I've had some help to work through. And he's never slept well or for long periods at night, so it's possible sleep deprivation is playing a part. I'd love to hear your thoughts and also from your listeners' experiences of becoming a mum for the first time. Right, over to you, Jane. Well, no, I would say to that to that correspondent, you are doing brilliantly, so pat yourself on the back. If you had birth trauma, um, then that's in itself quite a hump to get over, to put it very mildly. And I would say I could relate to everything you said about being home alone or in a marriage or a partnership with a young child. It isn't 90% joy. I would say it was... 75 to 80% hard slog and you're doing something you've never done before and it's one of the hardest things if not the hardest thing you've ever done and you're doing it largely on your own um it's not usual to have two adults who are together all day with a very young child and it's bloody difficult and we need we need to say it and keep on saying it so please don't berate yourself for not feeling absolutely beside yourself with happiness and joy 24 7 because mm. i wouldn't expect you to and i'd add into that the sleep deprivation oh, yeah. which i think if you can cast your mind back to before having a baby if you ever had periods where you couldn't sleep properly it completely takes away that high definition of your emotional range you know when you are really really knackered i think you see most things in a rather kind of monochrome slightly difficult way so you've got that to the power of 10 because the sleep deprivation doesn't ever really uh, get sated so I wouldn't beat yourself up about it at all and also I think full stop your emotional range just changes after having a baby and for some people it gets immensely heightened I think for some people it gets dulled it's definitely different there are loads of new emotions that come into play so I would absolutely agree with Jane I wouldn't beat yourself up about it at all the one thing I would say though is don't be afraid to get a bit of professional help if it's bothering you yeah because it doesn't you know we're not in your shoes no. and and if there are moments when you think this is so not me I'm really struggling to uh, see a way through it then I'd absolutely get some professional help and I think the glorious thing about having a baby now is that there are way more places to go to talk about how you're feeling and I hope way more understanding about how you're feeling so I don't think it should take too many steps uh, to get some kind of professional help if you need it. I wonder as well whether you have a friend in your life who is at more or less the same stage as you, maybe somebody that you met at the mother and baby group or someone you did your classes with if you did them, uh, whether you've got someone in your life also with a small child that you can share this with because I found it an immense an immense help just to have other women, and they were women obviously, going through the same thing at the same time just to say all this stuff too and to hear it back at me from someone else and then you sort of lose the shame because mm. you realise other people are feeling 
exactly the yeah. same thing. But I guess that's what our lovely listener is asking of our lovely listeners. Yeah, I, I just I hope that, particularly as the weather gets better, I know it's ridiculous, but it's easier to get oh, out. It makes a huge Parks difference. Parks are brilliant. Yeah. Uh, make eye contact with any other woman who's shoving a pram along because I guarantee she'll stop and chat. And, and also, don't be afraid to be the one who says hello. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I'm sure this isn't a, a unique experience at all, but I definitely made some of my best friends in playgrounds because we bonded over that look that we both gave each other, which was <laughs> in the eyes and uh, all it takes is for you to say hello uh, or someone to say hello to you and you to say hello back and you know hopefully you're up and running I think it makes a huge difference the weather actually were your babies winter babies who then yeah yeah so December and February okay so that is see I think February that's quite good because yeah. then by the time they can be really out and about you can be out and about too yeah I think yeah. a summer baby is sometimes a little bit punishing because you descend back into the darkness of winter yeah summer baby of course you've got to fit the sun thing to the uh buggy do you remember that oh i thought you were going to say you've got absolutely no time to get beach body ready oh my goodness i was beach body ready within within five or ten years of both births (laughs) (laughs) that whole business about your oh i can't even begin to go there no that's Mm, not no because but look i hope you're okay that's basically what we're saying and i think you it just sounds like such a normal experience well that's why i think we both picked this email because even though in my case it's now 23 years ago since i was in your position i can remember it like it was yesterday so trust me everyone's been there and if they say they haven't they're lying okay take it from me I'm going to pop a, pop a caveat in there, cool. though. I think some people genuine. No, I think some people genuinely love that early baby time, and I don't want to make them feel bad about loving it. No, but even the people who are loving it will have hard days. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. But I definitely think there were some women who were bouncing around with a little bit more, you know, vumph. Well, in... maybe, maybe they hit on the colic um, product that really worked, because I yeah, never maybe. found one. Yeah, maybe they were just drunk. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure you won't. Uh, right, so there is a lovely uh, picture of a young person, Jane, in a housecoat. Uh, this one comes from... This is the kind of smut you get on this podcast. <laughs> Sarah, uh, who says, uh, once cycling up the... I'm sorry, I just can't say it, so we're going to give it the translation, Apple Cross Pass, listening to your previous show when you read out the breast narrative. Can't remember the author. Anyway. Oh, it was Ken Follett. Oh, was it the yeah, Ken Follett? remember, Breast Through the Ages. <laughs> Breast through the ages. How could I have forgotten? Anyway, I've attached my 1990 or 1991 picture of my housecoat or tabard outfit, which I loved. I'm 19. She's 19. Brilliant. I think my mum got rid of it. I'm sitting next to my school friend, Farah, who is also an avid listener of the show. All the best. Well, it's an absolutely beautiful picture there, but I think we just need a little bit more information about why you're wearing a housecoat in 1990. Uh, when you're clearly extremely young. What's going on? You're not doing housework, are you? Well, they don't look like they are. They're sitting on a sofa. It's quite a busy carpet, Jane. There's a lot going on in that carpet. There is, yeah. It's very swirly. So, more detail, please. More detail. Right. Okay, let's move on to our big guest. Let's. uh, Because it is Gary Kemp. And uh, we do talk about Top of the Pops in this interview. And I I know we do, all three of us, do sound like a bunch of codgers. But we are, No, I know we are. I know we are. It's hard to understate, actually. No, or do I mean it's hard to overstate how significant Top of the Pops used to be, precisely because there was no other screen in the house. And so you remember you'd have to sit through Tomorrow's World. Do you remember that programme? Yes. It was the programme that actually first introduced me to the concept of a computer. A computer? A computer and a phone that you could use outside the home. And was Maggie Philbin demonstrating this to you or was that left to a man? Oh, no, of course, it was probably, uh, what was his name, Michael Rod. Michael Rod. Michael Rod, Maggie Philbin, Judith Han and William Woolard. Oh, I'd completely forgotten William. But all of them irritated the life out of me because they just it just wasn't Top of the Pops, but it was what was on before Top of the Pops. And then when you got to Top of the Pops, you had to have a couple of really quite filler acts didn't you at the beginning before you got to someone like spandau ballet well they do a couple of um songs that were sort of you know number 19 yeah they were that were hovering they were hovering around the outside and you'd be like no 
We come for the spans. Take us to the biggies. Yep. Well, actually, I just watched, um, just to refresh my memory, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, that. I watched a bit of Spandau Ballet from a 1981 edition of Top the Pops. In fact, it was the Christmas Day show. Um, it can't possibly have been live, but anyway, it was the Christmas Day show. Paul Gambaschini was the jock who <laughs> was... Who's in charge. It's quite funny because he's wearing a sort of beige suit. I mean, you could just as easily have popped out to the golf club. I mean, it, it, things were very different then. Male DJs, I mean, very few women were around in radio, so very few women presented Top of the Pops. I think Janice Long did, the late yeah. Janice Long, actually. can't believe she's died. Um, and a couple of others, but it was a bit of a rarity. So Gambo introduces Spandau Ballet, and um, the, Martin Kemp is completely topless. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Anyway, it's, uh, you'll find it on all good video sites. Yeah. Gary Kemp is wearing a shirt. Yes. So During this interview, yes, uh, but he's still got very sparkly eyes, hasn't he? And he, it was an absolute pleasure to meet him, Jane. No, he was um, he was a nice guy, um, and we did enjoy talking to him. One of the most successful British songwriters of the last couple of decades, and did look fantastic in his new romantic pompery, uh, strutting his considerable stuff on the telly back in the eighties. Um, we started off by asking him to tell us about his exciting live podcast show uh, that he's hosting tomorrow. Uh, in a venue that has a particular significance. Right, so let me just take you back, first of all, because on the 29th of August, 1976, three punk bands played at the Screen on the Green in Islington, where I grew up, in Islington. Um, and I was fortunate enough to go to this gig as a 16-year-old. Um, I There's a bit of a long story. It's to do with this wonderful guy, Stephen Woolley, who... Um, uh, is a producer for Palace Pictures and he's in Cannes as we speak um, he uh, left school early he loved film so much and he went and became the assistant manager at Screen on the Green in Islington and via him me and some friends found out that the Sex Pistols who were kind of talked about a little bit but not much mm. were playing there uh, at midnight with three, two other bands um, on, on that date and it changed my life as it did a lot of other people and when we do the podcast show, normally we talk about this a lot, this event that Guy, my fellow podcastee, didn't go to. Uh, so it's become a source of ribbing. Why couldn't he go? <laughs> because, well, he's... Unfortunately, Did his mum not let him out? Unfortunately, he's two years younger than me, and maybe he wasn't quite there at the time. And it right. was also just one of those, I was lucky to be in the right place at the right time. So tomorrow night, uh, um, as part of the podcast festival, Guy and I are taking our podcast, Rock on Tours, live to the screen on the green to rub his nose in it even more. And and we're going to be interviewing two people, both of whom played on stage that night uh, nearly 50 years ago, uh, Steve Diggle from the Buzzcocks and, and Glenn Matlock from the Sex Pistols. Take us back to that night in 1976. Why did it change your life? Well, you know, up until that point, you know, I was playing in a band. I was playing in a band with a lot of people a lot older than me, maybe... 30-year-old people that I'm 15, 16. The scene in London was pub rock. And that seemed to be in awe of Laurel Canyon. Uh, it was double denim and Americana. And there were a lot of bands just playing that kind of music. And that is the kind of music I was playing with this, these guys who were nearly 30. Um, it, it came along and kind of blew that out of the water. What I saw that night was quite extraordinary. The Buzzcocks and, and the Clash and the Pistols had an art about them, an archness about them, cleverness, but a rawness. And the music was, was from, for a 16-year-old, it was just incredible to hear. It was like everything that I loved about Bowie, plus Iggy Pop and the Stooges and all of that stuff. Plus it was arty. You know, I remember the Clash having their legs wide apart, standing in boiler suits with splashed paint all up and down you know like a jackson pollock so it was it was a it was a, it was a great night but what what you went on to do with spandau ballet it yeah. wasn't like that was it do you know what it's not far off really because um i went straight back the week after met those guys from uh in my band and said i'm leaving another friend who was with me that night was steve norman right who went on to be in spandau ballet as well we went straight into school the week after a new term started went straight to the music room and set up our amps and tried to play like the Pistols and the Clash. And that 
was when Tony Hadley came in and sang and, and, and John Keeble, and we formed Spandau. Now, what makes it similar is that a lot of the people that were in the Blitz Club that began the whole neuromantic scene in London were also at those early punk gigs. And I think in many ways Malcolm McLaren's formula of how to break a band and, and, and to be the house band of a particular new youth cult movement we took that all on board when we were starting Spandau. And have many people over the years come up to you and been able to describe going to one of your gigs in the same delicious way as giving them permission to release something of themselves that they might not have had before? Well, I think, you know, those early gigs we played at the Blitz were, you know, were, were quite extraordinary sort of events to be at, or on the HMS Belfast when we did that. Yeah, I mean, so many bands sprung out in the 80s based on <clears throat> a few handful of bands, you know, Arsene Duran, um, ABC up in Sheffield, the Human League. You know, there were there was a zeitgeist that was happening in 1980 when it was our turn to be um, the next movement, if you like. And, and, yeah, I think that was the case. I was a really nerdy teenager in Liverpool, Gary, and I used to read about you in the face and you, there was real exclusivity about you. The clubs like the Blitz with mm. terrifying people like mm. Steve Strange yeah. on the door. And I used to sit there and just think, well, what are my chances if I can't get into places like that? I'll never, mm. I'll never be fashionable yeah. enough. But look um, where you've got to. And look at me now. No. Um, but yeah. did you understand? Because you, I know you're, I appreciate you're from working class backgrounds and yeah. all the rest of it, but there was, there was a real exclusivity about Well, you. I think there was with the punk scene as well. It was quite... To see the Sex Pistols was not easy and to find out where they were playing and all of that sort of stuff. But I think mystique and, and mythology yeah. is what you're creating right at the beginning. And mm. that's what people kind of desire if they can't get in through the door. They want it more. But you know that can't last for long. We wanted to be successful. We wanted to sell singles. We quickly wanted to get out of that and, and into a record company and... You know, and 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 have people like yourself come to the yeah. show. Well, just uh, break it to me gently, Gary. And I did in the end, by the way, see you live. So that's yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. but there was, I think you know, <clears throat> before the internet, as we all know, you know, it was all done on you know people going into phone boxes and saying, mm. you know, have you heard? Is is there something going on at such and such a house or such and such a club? And 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 I think that was the thrill that that sort of detective work that you had to do to find out. Who was coming to your show? So, do you ever wonder about how you would have fared in those early years of Spandau Ballet if it was now, if you were born of the TikTok generation and the streaming generation? I think it's much harder to retain any um, mystique. You know, I think if uh, if mobile phones were around at, at the time when we first started playing, someone would have filmed it, put it on YouTube, and someone would have commentate, com commented underneath saying, rubbish, you know, <laughs> that would have kind of been it. Uh, so, so I think not revealing oneself is part of the thrill. But, of course, nowadays we live in a time when everyone wants to reveal everything about themselves, you know. Nothing, you know so I think it's... I, I can't tell you how to break a band now. It's uh, Yeah, and it's a weird one, isn't it? Because, actually, uh, I can't think of a enormous kind of superstar who's been born uh you know into the music industry i don't mean literally born in the last kind of i don't know five or ten years no, there hasn't been and and that's something to do with with the uh, proliferation i think well it's also the streaming. dominance of america at the moment musically because in my lifetime that has only this is the first time it's really happened where american acts are the biggest acts in the world and um and they're so huge aren't they yeah so i i think it's it's uh it, it's it's much i've i've no idea how but it's much trickier most of the big acts english acts that i can think of british acts you know that they've been around a while mm. you know there isn't that um and i think people have their own profile don't they they have their everyone can be the star they want to be on 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 instagram or whatever it might be um facebook but it's and and you have your own profile page and you can put your own filters on and you can make yourself the star you want to be. And you don't have to learn an instrument, you know. So you don't have to find other people, like-minded people. And I think the reason those kind of waves of, of youth culture kept on coming... I mean, my dad was a teddy boy and then there were mods. You know, I, I used to watch them outside my window because they all went to the pub next door to where we lived. And, you know, and then, and then there were the sort of psychedelic kids and the... You know, it... it those waves of youth culture uh, were that has stopped. You know, I don't, I don't 
see that anymore. But that was to have a uniform that you could say, hey, I'm over here. I'm in your gang. You know, be, you know let's, let's get together and do something. There, there will be people listening who don't remember what Spandau Ballet used to look like. And I can't remember which one of you used to wear the tartan throw. Over that was my the, brother. Yeah, that was, that yeah, was yeah, Martin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK. Uh, but who, who did that styling for you? Or was it all from you? No, it was all from us. Um, you know, we went to the, the Blitz Club, which was this tiny little club, and it was full of kids who had very little money. And the, it, was, it was basically Steve Strange and Rusty Egan who arranged it on a Tuesday night because that was the worst night of the week in any club and the club owner was quite willing to have at least a few people in um a lot of them were for some from st martin's school of design doing mm. fashion so those some of those kids made stuff for us to wear but we were all going into you know junk shops and into army and navy stores and to, to for looking for anything we could find that would make us look different and be different on the street, you know? That's that's what we really wanted to do. We wanted to be looked at, didn't we? Like those well, kids like, who yeah, have yeah. posh Instagram sites. Yeah, I guess and, that's and true. And it was a beautiful site, wouldn't you? No, nope, I mean, they were, you really yeah. stood out. I mean, uh, you did. Not to sort of make it sound like old farts corner, but um, <laughs> streaming is a bit of a nuisance if you're our generation. Top of the Pops was a massive, massive yeah. point in the week at which, because there was only ever one telly in the house, you'd all gather and your dad would make really sarky remarks about this, look at the state of him, you know, and you and your brother with your funny clothes and your... I mean, all sorts of well, attitude. It was a complete... But it was such a big point in the week. Well, it was, and I think we wanted to make a seminal appearance on yeah. Top of the Pops because we knew that, you know, my life had changed when I saw Bowie do Starman on Top of the Pops. Yeah. And I never forget it to this day, and I could still feel the goosebumps you know it was an extraordinary moment and and i think everyone wants that moment when they first get on top of the pops you know maybe adam ant had that to a certain extent we wanted to do that as well so you know because your granny knew what was number one didn't yeah, she yeah, yeah. you know everybody that was the the center of of culture of certainly of, of, of pop culture um and and um i don't think my nan's not alive now, but she she would not know she what number know, one was. No. Well, she could have a good guess. She could say Ed Sheeran and pretty well, much I get it right. I don't know what number one <laughs> in the territory should be right, wouldn't she? Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves... Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Now, we've been talking to Gary Kemp, of course, and we asked him about his podcast, Rock on Tours. Good title, actually, isn't it? Very good. Wish we'd thought of a good one. Never mind. Off air's all right, isn't it? He does it with the bassist, very successful bassist, Guy Pratt. And it's um, a very, it can be very nerdy, this podcast, but it's spectacularly interesting if you love the detail of songwriting and how the best songs come about. In fact, if you love music, you will really enjoy Rock on Tours. And we told him we loved all the detail in it. I think it's it's fundamentally about our friendship because we've known each other for a long time and we have quite a, a, a strong sense of humour and if we can bring that out, that's that's good. And it, it basically began when we, we both play in Nick Mason's band, Nick Mason from Pink Floyd, he's called Nick Mason, Source Full of Secrets, and we've been playing for the last five years with him. And we were on tour back in, I don't know, 2019 
and we were watching Old Grey Whistle Test uh, DVD, re- right. all the you know the greatest hits of the Old Grey Whistle Test, which is fairly nerdy stuff. You know, <laughs> let's get you, you know said it. what facts we know about Jethro Tull. <laughs> well, actually, I do know some facts, and so we would banter stuff around, and um, um, and it was you know we we'd, we'd have a few jokes about it, and someone you know in the old days people would say. You two get a room. Now they say you two get a podcast. It's so, very true. Look what happened. Yeah. <laughs> Dangerous stuff, though. So guys said, why don't, we, why don't we try to do this on air? You know, we know a few people. We have a little phone book of, of our, you know, musicians, and uh, we could start to go through that and see what it looks like. So the first one was Nick Mason. Of course, he, he had to be, really. Who have you enjoyed uh, shooting the breeze with the most? Um, Johnny Marr's great. You know, he has a very similar... Um, he has a very similar story, but 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 obviously set up in Manchester, you know, and uh, same as 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 Noel um, is also very much you know into music and very good and expansive about about where things started or came from. Everyone from Hank Marvin to Mick Fleetwood. Mick Fleetwood was actually really um, touching because I think what something we can we do be, being musicians and not journalists is we can disarm people and it becomes like a sort of triple a backstage gathering and Mick towards the end of the interview um ended up welling up and becoming very tearful and saying the only thing he really wants at that point is to get Lindsay Buckingham and the whole band back on stage one more time because Lindsay had left at that time you know we we had uh Ronan Orzabon you know who was very honest about his about his tricky relationship uh with his with his musical partner um and um that's and, tears for fears thank you very, yeah, yeah. Like tears for fears. and it was you know i think some like, we're not trying to fox people but i think you know they know we're musicians and they know that you know i've had tricky relationships with my musical partners we can relate to each other so some things like that come out and we've never once had anyone phone up afterwards and say you know what take that out Mm. But you, you, you were the songwriter in Spandau Ballet. Um, I mean, they couldn't have existed without you. So the responsibility fell to you, didn't it? And there must have been times where you thought, "I've got, I've got nothing in the locker here. I can't. This isn't working." Well, I mean, the pressure yeah. must have been at times quite tremendous. Yeah, no, I, I, I did feel that. You feel that, not so. Well, I remember once um, at our second album, and we'd, we'd had, you know, we'd had a string of hits, and then we released a song, and it didn't make top forty. I remember being at an airport and my, our manager told me, you know, it's not going to get in the top 40, this track. And I just thought, you know, what am I going to do now? Because the, the, I, these guys are relying on me and it's my fault that it's not got in the top 40 because the song isn't good enough. Um, I went away and I decided not to chase any sort of club music or try and do things um, based on the latest groove, you know, and, and I wrote the True album. Then... After that, you have even more sense of, yeah, of yeah. concern because you think, well, how do I compete with, with myself with that? You know, I've got to write another one of those. But, um, you know, I was young and it was, it was you know, it seemed to, it, it, it worked for quite a while. And then I think in the end, you, you do get a little bit uh, frustrated um, um, by, by, you know, this, after 10 years, things will, will, you will never be the latest and the most favourite band, you know, and at that time I think the DJ scene was coming in and um, and it was time for us to move move along. And do you think that you do still have a lot of good songs in you somewhere? I was listening to Paul Simon's Seven Psalms on the way into work today. I mean, he's written that, he's, what, 81 wow. now. And it's beautiful music, it's incredibly sad. Is it? Oh, yes, and I... it really does, it does feel like you're listening to somebody's kind of Amen, actually. But I did think, yeah. God, as a body of work, that's that's just extraordinary. Well, it's what you need from him then, you know. Yeah. I, I did. I had a solo album out two years ago, and um, I was really happy. It made um, uh, it made album of the week on Radio Two. It didn't make the charts. Well, it didn't make the top forty. Just but it did that... make the top four. It made the top ten when it was on record sales. But as soon as the streaming comes in, of course, you're just batted down. Let's call it a top ten hit. Yeah, we're well, 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 amongst well, friends here. But <laughs> but do, does that have to matter to you anymore? Because you've been such an enormous success no, in terms doesn't... of the figures and the stats and whatever. No, it doesn't matter. You want communication, though. You want people to the more people to listen to what you've done. And um, so I'm, you know, I, I 
but I'm I'm writing from the perspective of a bloke who's sixty years old, you know, at that point, you know, and and so it's only going to appeal to people of that generation, I think. And um, if, Paul Simon, by the way, there's a f- quite a funny story when I when I met Paul. He was talking about songwriting, and um, and he was, he was going to tell me how he comes up with his titles, and um, and he said he was in a Chinese restaurant because he used to live a lot in London in the sixties and seventies. And he was in a Chinese restaurant in London and he was looking down the menu at all the different meals, wondering what to choose. And one was chicken and egg and it was called Mother and Child Reunion. <laughs> and he thought that would be a good title. That's <laughs> where he real? got the title from. That's exactly where he got the title from. That or so he told me. Unbelievable. <laughs> that I mean, superb. <laughs> I, I know that you are a great songwriter, but true is the song that everybody knows. And are you... You must be conscious of the fact the number of teenagers who will have had their first snog to True in the 1980s and possibly quite possibly even more than a snog to that song. It was just there at every single event I mm. went to, played mm-hmm. towards the end of the evening by whoever was in charge of the music. Yeah. Um, yeah, I am aware of that because people often tell me that. You know, taxi drivers might tell me that or a plumber might tell me that. In fact, oh, Kevin Costner actually even told me... Kevin Costner told, told me that. Okay. that True was his song and it belonged to him and his wife. They're divorced now, so obviously oh, they have a diff- he has a different song now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, I think that's... Um, yeah, you know, that 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 is, is true. It's be, there was a wedding song that was used in The Wedding Singer. You know, as a, as a wedding song, it's it's a it's a funny tune actually because lyrically it's about not getting someone. Mm. It's about wanting to ad- admit that you love someone or that you're in, you know you're attracted to someone, but you you don't know quite want them to know that. And why do I find it hard to write the, the next line when I want the truth to be said? Is what it's about. But it it becomes a song because it, people like the music, I guess. It becomes, yeah, they're not listening to the words, Gary. Really so it's like every breath you take is, is, is a wedding song. It's, yeah, it's a stalker song. song. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> Have you ever made your love on Wasteland? Uh, <laughs> from Through the Barricades, yeah. Um... <laughs> Yeah, how do you answer that? <laughs> Actually, I was going to ask. I think you might have done. Um, I don't think there have been many songs written about Northern Ireland, and I would say that was about, it's about the only well, one Belfast I can think Boy. of. Belfast Boy. Oh, Belfast Boy. Simple, okay, yeah. Simple, simple minds. minds. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I'd had an experience where um, the drummer Jim from Stiff Little Fingers, um, uh, his brother had worked with us on on merchandise in the early eighties. And his brother was was actually um, killed by a, by a soldier in in Northern Ireland. When we visited Belfast, he took me to see his grave. And on the way there, obviously, we we passed through you know that divide between the um, Fool's Road and and I'm and I'm I'm forgetting the name of the of the other road, but the divide between the 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 the, the communities, the two distinct communities of Belfast at that time in the in the mid eighties. And, you know, I saw the barricades and I, you know, you'd, you'd be quite shocked when you went and arrived in Belfast, you know, the uh, the, the, the military turrets. Yeah, up in the murals. And, yeah. and the tanks. And um, and so when I got to the end of that uh, experience, I felt, you know, I really wanted to put something down in music about a kind of Romeo and Juliet uh, situation um, within Belfast. And... Um, uh, yeah, I don't think there's anything specific in there that says it's about Belfast. I mean, it says a terrible beauty mm. in there, which is obviously Maud gone Yates phrase, yeah. you know. But um, other than that, it, it, you know, I remember going to Belfast, sorry, to to, to Berlin on the in the 1990 tour, 89, and and we were walking towards the to the wall, and we could hear what I thought were birds chirping. Now, actually, they were chisels on the wall, and we got there, and we 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 got a chisel and a hammer and we were all banging away and I remember creating a hole in the wall and the and the the, uh, the, the soldier from East Berlin's head coming through <laughs> and people driving around in trabans looking at, you know, the w- w- West Berlin. Um, and we played that song that night in Berlin and, and it had a, a resonance. Uh, if we've got time, you couldn't quickly retell the story of who ends up turning up at the party you had in Nottingham to celebrate uh, True getting to number one. Uh, it's in an episode of your podcast that I listened to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we were playing in Nottingham and then um, next door was uh, Jim Davidson performing. Oh, and, uh, and so 
at the end, we went back to the hotel and we were having a party because we were number one that day, you know. And, of course, Jim Davison gate crashes with Les Dawson. And <laughs> well, that's marginally better than Jim, I guess. And, and we couldn't get them out. They were both trolled. And I think they were they were the, our bouncers. Probably, you know, they were the last people to be chivied out. I remember Les Dawson rolling around. It just made me laugh, Gary, because uh, you know, someone who bought that album at the time absolutely worshipped you at the time. The idea now—I mean, it's lovely to meet you. Actually, uh, you know, that, that's a personal highlight for me. But to know that such a celebration was savaged by Les Dawson, <laughs> savaged, besmirched, besmirched, yeah. <laughs> That was our guest, Gary Kemp, and uh, Jane and I went for a little bit of decompression, a couple of hours in a chamber uh, with reduced oxygen in order to come down from that interview. It's actually not the first time I've met him because he did in what must have been one of the weirdest uh, kind of link-ups, Jane, Go a on. Christmas special yes. for BBC Radio 4's Saturday Live programme oh, yes. helmed by me and Joan Bakewell with Gary Kemp and Richard Coles. The four of us presenting a Christmas special. You had to really, really fight for a line in that I, line-up. I bet, I bet you did. Yeah. But it was, uh, it was interesting. It was mm. very interesting. Did you listen back to that a lot? No, I, no, <laughs> I didn't. In fact, when, <laughs> when he came in, I had to kind of slightly clock I got the right Kemp, and I don't think it was something that had made... I mean, he remembered before I did, actually. Yeah. Um, so, you know, hopefully it, it, uh, hopefully it was a pleasurable experience for him. But it's just quite odd, isn't it? Gary Kemp and Joan Bakewell. Richard Goles and little old me. <laughs> it's very odd. Radio 4. Radio uh, 4 soup. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's more of a... It was quite a, quite a thick stew, actually, I would have said. I don't know what it was. An, an artisanal yeah. offering, whatever. Um, can we just have a quick word about Joe Nesbo? Yes! Yesterday's guest. Now, um, he, he was interesting, wasn't he? Because... Um, we did sort of challenge him a bit because I think we both felt that we're heartily sick of this whole idea that women in corpse form cluttering up almost every crime novel. <sighs> can it just, can it end soonish, please, I suppose? But then, we've got to be honest, we read this stuff. Well, actually, I'm not particularly a fan of Joan Espo, but what, what did you think? So I thought that Joan Espo was surprised to be pushed back actually when we were talking about the more macabre elements of his writing mm. and i think his justification not that he needs a justification actually jane i mean he is a wildly successful oh, author and actually he's been a very successful man i mean he played football at a high level uh, he was in a rock band that was highly successful and now he's casually gone on to be one of the world's best-selling novelists yeah so you know it, it's not it's it's not for us to challenge other people's uh, affirmation of him and no. that's what it is it's 55 million copies sold worldwide but i think he was a little bit surprised that we pushed back on just the notion that what you put on the page in fiction might have some kind of wider ripple effect in real life and it's obviously a question he's been asked before and i've heard him be asked it before and he says well actually it's the other way round it's that writing reflects what's happening happening in real life and women are being attacked and there is uh, a huge epidemic of violence against women at the moment but I'm going to have to go and have a really 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 big think about that Jane because I think in allowing a celebration of the more macabre elements of violence against women I think you do justify some of it and it's not a position that i held at all as a younger woman so mm. i just have to think it through whether it's my sensitivity to the world whether i'm being a hypocrite because it didn't used to bother me then why does it bother me now uh you know is that something of a kind of just souring of the female mind i don't know i'm gonna to have to think about it well I, i'm it's probably you're right i don't think when i was younger i thought that much about it but now I look at things like the tourism around the serial killer, the so-called Jack the Ripper, that whole business. It's just nauseating. Mm. Well, do you know what? The BAFTA being won by the Jeffrey Dahmer oh, series yeah, as well, yeah. when it was up against spectacular drama that was entertaining and funny and clever. Yeah. So that kind of celebration, and, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer wasn't killing young women, was he? Mm. 
just the celebration of killing in a weird, mutilating way, I think is, I just find it strange. And I completely take the point, don't write in and say one is real and one is fiction. That's not a link I'm trying to directly no. make. I'm trying to work out my own place as a reader or a viewer well we are we're in sort of difficult territory and serious territory so at this point i may as well bring in this email from a listener who is writing in the light of the death of, of rolf harris the yeah. pedophile rolf harris who died we now know a couple of weeks ago but it was announced yesterday and this listener says um i've spent 10 years looking after the victims of pedophiles i've spent many hours supporting them to give their best evidence against the might of a defense barrister in court these paedophiles are not monsters. They are ordinary men, uh, quite often actually held in great esteem by their community. Uh, they can be vicars, priests, teachers, uncles, fathers, stepfathers, imams, grandfathers, brothers. In my 10 years, I have not come across a female paedophile. Now, this is our correspondence experience. I am not, I don't believe for one minute that feed female paedophiles do not exist. I just think they are incredibly rare. Anyway, that's me just trying to give a bit of balance there but anyway the uh, it is a lady actually she goes on to say a monster conjures up an image of a nasty horrible creature identifiable uh, identifiable by all but that's the point paedophiles are not obvious to people uh, that is the paedophile's strength and that's how they get close to children and that's how they abuse them i have seen countless sex offenders they are normal looking people she says men of all ages and that is the problem. So we want to, and it's perfectly natural, I guess, to other paedophiles because it's so much simpler to do that and call them monsters. And that satisfies a, cra a craving we all have to make them something completely outside ourselves. But if only they were like mm. that. And it's interesting, isn't it, that the pictures that are now used of Paul Gadd, uh, the pictures that have been used of um, Philip Schofield's brother, it is the classic criminalised shot. Yeah, and of yeah. course they looked very different in real life. Oh yeah, they had well, outside yes. of a prison van or outside of a police station. Yeah. But you're right; we like to, as soon as we recognise them for what they are, put a certain kind of image on them because it makes us feel more comfortable, doesn't oh, it? Completely. That's what it does. It um, yeah, it makes us relax and think, well, we'd never be like that. Yeah, we'd spot them. We'd, we'd spot, spot them, them in a crowd well, because they're monsters and we're not. Yeah. But, um, but you know, I was grateful to our correspondent for that um, yeah. that first person experience because I think that we have talked a bit about this before, and I know that we've had some correspondence on the matter too. Maybe we'll talk about it a bit more in the future. But just not being able to have a proper conversation about the proliferation of paedophile material at the moment and stuff like that is incredibly unhelpful, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know I've talked in the past about. The day I spent at GCHQ. Have you mentioned that? Mm. But one of the people Kate, I met... Kate, have you ever heard her mention that? No, she no so come on. No, no, but I... Yeah, I serious point. They, um, I, I spent about 20 minutes with um, a man whose job was to track down paedophiles. And um, it's an incredibly difficult thing to do. And he told me that his he was up against it to such an extent that the truth was that they could only really focus on the paedophiles who have regular access to children. So, in other words, people in a position of authority. I mean, it's it was it's a deeply troubling thought and a horrible set of circumstances, but they are out there. And as our correspondent says in her email, they look like often people who are hugely respected in their local communities mm. and for in some cases for very good reason and of course that's not to suggest that there are millions of these these men out there there aren't thank god but they are there anyway oh, you're right we do need to have a, a try to to do this again but even in podcast form, it's not terribly easy to do. Well, it? it's not easy. And also, I'm no. very well aware, Jane, that lots and lots of people come to this podcast because they've had quite a hard yes, day. they want a bit of light relief. And they want a bit of light relief and, uh, you know, are grateful to us for discussing uh, whether or not a tabard is a housecoat and a housecoat is a tabard. Uh, so we will always, always do most of that, uh, but we'd hope to be able to... Uh, also embrace a little bit of the dark stuff sometimes we've talked about some quite meaty things recently i think certainly the estrangement conversations that we've been having yeah uh, and actually some of the stories just about sex 
not having sex, what sex means and stuff. Those yeah. have been quite hefty too. So I'd say bring on loungewear just for a little while. And perhaps tomorrow we can have a day in which we don't talk about Henry VIII's ulcerated legs. <laughs> that would be that would be a really good start. Let's let's come on. Let's be positive now. And we won't talk about that tomorrow. Okay. Will you come in loungewear tomorrow? And we no, can discuss. I was, I, the Times have done a big thing about how um, you can't wear a floral midi dress, or now you can, or something. So I thought tomorrow I'm going to wear one. Okay. Yeah. I think the story today was uh, that they'd got the story wrong. Oh, you can now. And now you can. I, yes. Right. I think. But yeah. I think that's based on the fact that women have consistently kept on wearing them because, as the Times, I think, wrote today, they can take you through from morning to evening. Day to night. Yes, day to night. Day to night. Day to night wear. I mean, who are these people who change about three in the afternoon? So I don't know, but here's a question to discuss tomorrow and then we need to say goodnight. When you get home from work, do you change into something more comfortable? Well, it's funny you should mention that because I usually do put on um, tracky bums or this This is the cusp, the, the important point of the year where I go from my heavy-duty sweat bottoms to my lighter ones which are more like they're more like pedal pushers pedal pushers <laughs> okay right it's a return to form okay uh, well no, we'll but, discuss oh, all of that quick recommendation as well I, I mentioned it on the show the live the radio show which by the way you can listen to we had an email saying i didn't realize i could listen you can listen to the radio show can't you yes it's free yeah it's free just yeah, get the just times get radio app yeah. and then we're on at three o'clock really quite good sometimes it was good yesterday it's quite good today it's all right all right anyway whatever so uh, i just want to do a hard recommend for the kemp's mockumentary it's on the iplayer if you're a big fan of spandau ballet or a fan of the kemp brothers you'll love that it's properly funny. what's the full title just the kemp's is it no it's the it's the kemp something something well just get anyway just if go you put in search kemp, yeah. on iplayer the kemp's you'll find it it's an hour it's properly yeah, it's a mockumentary it's a mockumentary you'll laugh and laugh yeah. All righty. Uh, good night. Come in your slippers tomorrow if you want to. Uh, come in a you know little bit of a silky kimono. We don't mind as long as you're here. We're here for you. Well, I'll be channeling high tea and muffins. Yeah, I like to stay formal actually. So with this dressing down, it's not for me, Jane. It's not for me. Good, good night. You did it. Elite listener status for you for getting through another half hour or so of our whimsical ramblings, otherwise known as the hugely successful podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. We miss the modesty class. <laughs> our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler, the podcast executive producer. It's a man. It's Henry Tribe. Yeah, he's an executive. Now, if you want even more, and let's face it, who wouldn't, then stick Times Radio on at three o'clock Monday until Thursday every week, and you can hear our take on the big news stories of the day, as well as a genuine interesting mix of brilliant and entertaining guests on all sorts of subjects. Thank you for bearing with us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com